Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Football podcast. I'm your host, Billy Pout, and today we are back going over all of the games that took place over the past weekend for Game Week 24. And well, there's a fair bit to go over. A fair few surprise results, to say the very least. So getting right into it and starting off with one of the standout games for the weekend as Leicester welcomed Liverpool to the King Power. The big question ahead of this game was about Liverpool's centre-back pairing. Would they start one of their new signings? Would Henderson start at the back again? And the answer to both questions was yes. Henderson started at the back alongside new signing Kabak. And with Jamie Vardy back, James Madison on fire and Harvey Barnes in red hot form, it was shaping up to be a really tough afternoon for the Reds. I really expected Leicester to take the game to Liverpool and I actually predicted a 2-1 Leicester win before the game. And in the first half, I was looking like an idiot. Liverpool came out, dominated the ball and had a fair few chances, but they just couldn't break Leicester down to get themselves ahead. That was until the 67th minute, though, when finally, kind of out of nowhere, really, some beautiful skill from Roberto Firmino meant he was able to lay it off to Salah, who was just there in the perfect position. And his first time shot was able to get past Schmeichel to put the Reds ahead. This really kicked Leicester on, though. Just 10 minutes after Liverpool's goal, Harvey Barnes was brought down on the edge of the box. I mean, at first it did look like it was inside, but after consulting VAR, they came to the conclusion that it was, in fact, outside of the box. Fortunately for Leicester, though, it didn't matter. James Madison placed the ball perfectly across the box for someone to attack, but it went all the way into the goal and passed Allison. The linesman gave an offside for attempt of the ball, by Amati, but again, VAR got involved as always and somehow deemed Amati onside, so therefore the goal counted. Just two minutes later, though, and Leicester found themselves ahead. Tielemans' long ball forward saw Allison and Newman Kabak get all tangled up and run into each other as Jamie Vardy was just able to run on through and with an open goal six yards out. I even think Joel Linton could have scored that one, to be fair. And with my prediction, sorry, looking like it was going to come in, 
I know, I couldn't quite believe it myself. Harvey Barnes ruined it by scoring a third for Leicester just five minutes before time. 3-1 is how it finished, which now leaves Leicester six points clear above Liverpool, who are in fourth. You wouldn't have expected that before the season, would you? Next up, we had Crystal Palace take on Burnley in the three o'clock kickoff. And I mean, if any game had screamed nil-nil, it would have been this one. With Zaha and Chris Wood both missing out with injury, it really didn't seem like it would be an entertaining game at all. But whatever Sean Dyche put in Burnley's pre-game meal, it'll be wanting it more often. Just 10 minutes into the game, Burnley were 2-0 up. Yes, you didn't hear that wrong. Burnley scored two goals within the first 10 minutes. The, th- the first through Goodmanson and the second through Jay Rodriguez when he headed home Dwight McNeil's corner. That was really it, though, for the first half. Nothing else really happened, but in the second half, Matt Loughton scored his first goal in eight years since his screamer against Stoke for Aston Villa with another screamer when he was able to volley the ball past Guaita in the Crystal Palace goal. Other than that, it was a fairly boring game, as we expected, but I don't think many people would have expected three goals in this one at all. Um, Burnley don't move even further away from the drop zone and with West Brom next week they'll be looking to increase that gap even more. The biggest and most hyped game of the weekend came when Man City and Spurs both met at the Etihad and with Man City on a 15 game winning run before this game if anyone was going to win that it was going to be Mourinho but not this time though. With talk about Edison taking penalties before the game due to Man City's very, very poor penalty record this season. It was an interesting spectacle when Man City did win a penalty 23 minutes into the game. It wasn't Edison who took it though, unfortunately, despite very much being up for it. It was Rodri, actually. Um, I'd have fancied Edison over him myself, but Rodri did his job by finishing the penalty as he put Man City 1-0 up. Just five minutes into the second half, Ilkay Gundogan added to his incredible scoring record this year when he got his eighth. And then not long after that, he got his ninth as well. Honestly, there was only ever going to be one team going to win this one. Spurs just looked so poor and they never really tested Edison at all. And I don't even know if they'll get European football this season. If they continue like they are, you know, Eric Dyer, I mean, it's in the name, isn't it? He's absolutely shocking. But you can bet your house on the fact that he'll still be playing alongside Maguire at the Euros instead of defenders who actually deserve it. But let's leave that talk for another day because I could ramble on for ages. Man City, though, are now nine points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand as well over second place Man United as Spurs now sit in ninth, just two points ahead of Arsenal. And we know what we've been saying about Arsenal and how poor they've been. Well, Spurs are just two points ahead of them. The final game of the day on Saturday was when Villa travelled down to Brighton and I'm going to keep this one fairly short. Villa just weren't at the races and we were absolutely awful. Unfortunately, Emi Martinez turned up though as he proved yet again why he's the best keeper in the league, making nine saves and how he managed to keep out all of Brighton's 26 shots. I will never know. We deserved to lose. We were awful. We had no attacking threat, no attacking flair. Grealish had a very rare off game, but somehow we were still able to come away with a point, which also managed, which also meant, sorry, that we managed to keep our 12th clean sheet of the season. 
which now equates to a clean sheet in 55% of games this season. When you consider the fact that we didn't manage to keep an away clean sheet in the whole of last season, I mean, it's an amazing stat, isn't it, really? But I can't bear going over this game much more, to be honest with you. And with Leicester up next week, with Matty Cash picking up a hamstring injury in that game against Brighton, to say I'm dreading it would be an absolute understatement. (laughs) Getting into Sunday now, though, and just days after their FA Cup fifth round clash in which Southampton came away with a 2-0 win, the Saints and Wolves met again, this time at St Mary's, though. And Danny Ings got on the score sheet yet again as he volleyed in Stuart Armstrong's cross to strike Southampton ahead. It was deserved. They were the much better team in the first half. and it, But the second half was just a complete turnaround from both teams. It was so weird. Wolves came out in the second half and looked like the Wolves side that we used to seeing from the last couple of seasons. They did get lucky for their first goal though when referee Graeme Scott awarded Wolves a penalty for a very soft handball. Ruben Neves took it and placed it home straight into the back of the net. And not long after the hour mark, Pedro Neto got his first goal since the beginning of December as he fired Wolves ahead from a very, very tight angle. That goal secured Southampton's fifth loss in a row and with Chelsea and Leeds up next, it doesn't get much easier for them. Wolves, though, move above Southampton and on to 30 points into 12th. But what's got wrong, what's gone wrong with Southampton, though? Ever since that Villa game a few weeks back, they've just not been up to scratch. Whether it's that they were overachieving at the beginning of the season and this is just part of the story where it all catches up on them, maybe? I don't know. It's just a really weird one. I've seen a lot of talk from Saints fans wanting Hassan Hutel out. But it doesn't go without dividing opinion. Um, It seems to me that half of the fan base want him out and the other half seem as the best thing since sliced bread with no in-between. But it's going to be an interesting one to see how things pan out over the next few weeks for Southampton. And I, for one, am really looking forward to it. Next up was West Brom's clash with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United. And I don't think I'd have been in the minority by saying that I thought it'd be a walk in the park for United. But much to the surprise of every football fan around the world, West Brom actually took the lead just two minutes into the game. And by Diang got his head onto Conor Gallagher's cross and passed De Gea. Um, It was a foul on Lindelof when the two were competing for the ball though. Diang literally grabbed Lindelof's face, but of course VAR didn't see anything wrong with it. Um... Unlike Man United this season, though, when they went behind, they were absolutely shocking. But fortunately for United, Bruno managed to volley home Luke Shaw's cross on the stroke of half-time. And despite United's very poor performance, West Brom actually looked half-decent, which just shows you how poor United really were. Um, You know you were woeful when you can even make West Brom look decent, you know? Um, The highlight of the game for me, though, was Harry Maguire making himself look like a tit in the post-match interview when he said that he was surprised that he hadn't won a penalty despite being about a yard offside. Um, (laughs) This result now means that West Brom have now picked up points against United, Man City, Liverpool and Chelsea, yet are still sat in 19th place on 13 points with just two wins all season. Arsenal against Leeds was one of the games that I marked before the weekend as one of the standouts and it certainly didn't disappoint. This game could either have been a 0-0 or a 5-5 and fortunately it was more so the latter. 
Aubameyang broke the deadlock after just 13 minutes when he beat Meslier at the near post. Aubameyang very nearly got his second shortly after when his shot from the middle of the box was blocked by Ailing, and just after that he thought he had himself a penalty too. Bukayo Saka was brought down in the box by Cooper and the penalty was given by the referee, but VAR told him to have another look, sent him to the monitor and of course it was overturned. Not that it mattered though, just because minutes later, Meslier added yet another blunder to his list of them over the season when he chopped down Saka inside the box after miscontrolling the ball. Aubameyang stepped up to take it and he was never going to miss as he placed it past the keeper. On the stroke of half-time, Arsenal made it three. Hector Bellerin this time it was who got the goal as he managed to somehow squeeze the ball past the keeper. Um, Meslier's got to be doing better with it, but he is only 20, so he can get away with it. I just feel like the Premier League has been too soon for him this season. And particularly when he's at a team like Leeds who constantly give away chances. Anyways, in the second half, just two minutes in, Aubameyang completed his hat-trick when Emile Smith-Rowe's shot slash cross, whatever you want to call it, found him at the back stick and he just had to tap it home. Leeds did get a goal back though through Pascal Stroik's header and they got another goal back and with 20 through held Acosta sorry and with 20 minutes to go and two goals in quick succession for Leeds Arsenal fans must have been having throwbacks from that 4-4 game against Newcastle a few years back when they did bottle that four goal lead but this time fortunately for Arsenal they didn't bottle it and they did go on to win the game 4-2 a big 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 three points for Arsenal in their race for European football, which is very unlikely, but you know, it's Arsenal and it's also football, so anything can happen. Sunday's late kickoff between Everton and Fulham was another one that I was really looking forward to. And if you know me or listen to previous episodes, you'll know that Fulham have been one of my teams of the season to watch and they impressed yet again. Josh Madger, the Sunderland legend, finally looks to be the poacher that Fulham have been missing this season. With Calvert-Lewin now injured for Everton, this was the perfect time to take advantage. And that's exactly what Fulham did. Um, Not much really happened in the first half. Fulham had a fair few chances, but nothing really clear-cut until the second half. Fulham ramped it up and just three minutes into that second half, Josh Madger did get his goal. Ola Einer's ball right across that six-yard box and some great forwards awareness from Madger saw the Cottagers go ahead. And then just after the hour mark, Madger got himself a second. Harrison Reed's long effort struck off the, post, off the post right into the path of Madger as he just had to tap it in for his second. With 25 minutes still to play, a hat-trick certainly wasn't off the cards but it seemed like he signalled to the bench that he had a slight, that he had a tight muscle or something, sorry. So Scotty Parker yanked him off when he could and stuck Cavaliero on to see the game out. Fulham, though, yet again, looked like a great football inside and their average of the starting eleven was just 25 years old. And for a team so young with such limited experience to play like they have at points this season... You've just got to say fair play and they really look like they could pull themselves out of this deep, dark hole that they're currently in. And Newcastle fans will be very scared indeed, but we'll get on to them in a minute. Monday saw another two games played and the first of which I was, expecti- I was expecting to be a proper, proper ball fest. 
I really thought that this game between West Ham and Sheffield United was going to be very, very boring. And let's be honest, it kind of was other than the goals. I mean, it really wasn't a game for the neutral. Um, West Ham finally looked, finally got their first penalty of the season, sorry, when Craig Dawson was brought down in the box. But in the end, he was offside, so it wasn't given. So West Ham had to wait for their first penalty of the season. Um, but it was only for another 30 minutes or so when they were finally awarded a penalty an actual penalty that wasn't overturned and was given as Lingard was completely hacked down by Basham. Lingard fancied it himself, but nobody was taking the ball off Declan Rice and he slotted it right into the bottom corner past Ramsdale. In the second half, the Hammers scored yet another set-piece goal when Issa Diop got on the end of Aaron Cresswell's corner to make it two. And then in the last seconds, just when you think the game was over... Ryan Frederick scored to make it three. Somehow, that's taken West Ham into fourth. I can't believe what I'm saying. That West Ham are in fourth. What? <laughs> the final game of the weekend, though, was between Chelsea and Newcastle, who we mentioned earlier. And, well, without, New without Wilson for Newcastle, where are the goals going to come from for the Magpies? Well, Bruce put his trust in Dwight Gale... And that didn't particularly work out, did it? As Chelsea ran out very easy 2-0 winners. Tammy Abraham, who started the game, went off with an injury just 20 minutes into the game. It was a very poor and reckless challenge from Lascelles, but there was no card given or anything. But Olivier Giroud came on as a replacement, and it's not bad, is it, when the sub is better than the player he's coming on for? And it was just 11 minutes after coming on that he got the first goal of the evening. Timo Werner's low cross into the six-yard box was parried away by Darlow, but only as far as Giroud, 10 yards out, as he was able to just fire it home. On Friday, I went on the Total Screamers podcast, as I am quite often on there now, to be honest with you. So don't forget to check them out. But in that last episode, which was a Game Week 24 preview... I actually said that I was very confident that Timo Werner was going to score. And what do you know, 39 minutes into the game, he got his goal. If you want the lottery numbers, just let me know. I knew it was coming and well, he finally managed to do it. Anyways, that's how things ended. Not a lot happened in the second 45, but that win did move Chelsea back up to fourth, overtaking West Ham, which relegation seems more and more likely by the week for Newcastle. That's all from me today, though. Thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod. Let me know your thoughts and opinions on the games that took place. Have I missed a major talking point that you'd like me to go over? An idea for an episode that you'd like me to do? Let me know. Anyways, thank you for listening. Take it easy, and I'll see you all back here on Friday for another episode. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.